0: So we are continuing our series in the book of James and in chapter 2. And as you recall, James chapter 2, or the first half of, the, of James chapter 2, deals with partiality. The definition of partiality is, the literal definition is, to hold someone's face. Which means, partiality means judging someone on the face of who they are. You don't go underneath the person, to know who that person is, we make quick prejudicial decisions on the worth of another human being based on our externalities. The partiality, in other words, is discrimination. Discriminating someone based on their externalities without having realized the full content content of a person. Discrimination, James says, and James deals deeply with this issue, James calls evil, a sin, the thing that will be judged for. We are no strangers to discrimination, because by providentially, I think God is allowing us to live in the 21st century America, and right now, currently, we are overwhelmingly exposed to the evils of discrimination. You cannot turn on the news. You cannot, you cannot you know, watch YouTube without running across about people reminding us of the suffering of the African-American community as endured in America because of racism, slavery and racism. Racism is a great evil. Because you we are taking, racism is taking someone with dignity and saying that person with godly dignity is beneath you because of the color of their skin. Yesterday I was watching Lincoln. Have you watched Lincoln? Two, almost three-hour movie, just mostly about talk, right? But that movie gripped me because that movie. Steven Spielberg did a really good job of framing the indignation behind racism. And God is allowing us to go through this because I think what we're living through is God's sermon to us saying how evil racism is. Racism is great. Discrimination of any kind, whether it's racism but it's not just like, it's not just racism, right? That is, that racism is not the only category of discrimination. We discriminate based on class, based on education, based on social economic positions, where we based on our neighborhood. Basically, people discriminate. And and, and, and discrimination is not just a U.S. problem. Racism and discrimination is not just a U.S. problem. It's a problem worldwide. The world is suffering because of discrimination. China, the Chinese government sent a million class of people called the Uyghurs to imprisonment camps. A million people the Chinese government sent to imprisonment camps. Why? Because they think Uyghurs, who are, who, are, who, are, who are Muslims, basically, in the China region, northern, northern Chinese region, they think those Uyghurs, the Muslims, are an extreme faction, that their ideologies is inconsistent with the Chinese communist government ideology. Therefore, if you are a Uyghur, if your parents are Uyghurs, they say, then you're automatically an enemy of the state. Therefore, China is saying, you deserve to be imprisoned. It doesn't matter. They don't ask individuals whether they really agree with the Muslim faith. A million people cannot all be Muslims, right? But they don't care. If you are a Muslim, if your parents are Uyghurs, you're going to camp. Discrimination is causing the suffering of a million people discrimination is dividing this country not just over racism but political ideology like i said last week if i wear if i come preaching and wear a make america great a maga hat right i'm pretty sure people are going to leave the, some people are going to leave the church because even if you don't know exactly where i stand politically the image of me wearing that hat will make you prejudiced against me and where I stand. You're going to make a value judgment as as me as an individual based upon my political ideology. If I think that you voted for Bernie in the primary, I'm going to have a certain ideal about you. Whether that idea may or may not be true, I'm going to have a prejudged ideal about you. And I and I and not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be interested in anything real about you. Just who you vote for tells me exactly what I need to know to make an, to make a judgment against you. Partiality, discrimination is truly making the world a horrible place to live. It is a great sin. That's why God is saying discrimination is really evil. And we'll be judged if we, if we discriminate. There are certain portions of people in America that believe discrimination doesn't exist. They don't. They say we got rid of all discrimination according to the civil rights law, right? We passed in the 60s, right? There's no overtly racist laws, therefore, free of discrimination. That's not true. Right? They're not living in a reality. If, you, if, 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 if they're saying we're living a discriminate, discrimination-free life, it's everywhere. I was walking the other day. Yes, yeah, this week I was walking, minding my own business, right? Talking to God. And then there's someone who just, like, passed me by, honking at me. I was walking on the sidewalk, on a trail. And they honked at me. Why did they honk at me? Because I'm so handsome? Oh, I'm pretty sure my race has to do something with it. Right? Asian-American haters on the rise, they say. You see images of elderly, like Asian people being pushed for no apparent reason. We're Asian. They're Asian. Therefore, and coronavirus from Asia, therefore, That lady has something to do with the coronavirus. Racism is everywhere. Discrimination is everywhere, right? If you don't think discrimination exists, then we don't know the human condition. But there is a flip side to that. A flip side of that is if you think racism is the evil, and the only evil in society, and it is perfectly possible for us to eradicate racism just by educating people, then I think you're naive for thinking that. Because racism is a symptom of a deeper reality of our soul. Racism in and of itself is not the great evil. It is a symptom of what is truly broken within us. That is why, yes, I understand people are outraged by racism and people are outraged by discrimination and people think, how do we solve racism? Or education. Read by fragility. Read Abraham X. Kennedy's book. Teach our children racism is evil. Do you know what, going, what happened last week? Loudoun County parents. Like, have you heard about this? Like, They had a school board meeting and there are certain parents in Loudoun County, they flipped out. They're offended by the fact that the Loudoun County School Board is trying to push woke agenda to their children. And I think they're partially right because I think racism cannot be solved with education. Racism is a a symptom of a deeper reality that is broken within us. And that reality, and the cause of racism is like the cause of all sin, comes from a heart it refuses to recognize who God is. A heart that is ignorant of God cannot help but to, but to, but to show partiality to people. That's just a reality. A heart that does not does, that does not recognize the true God cannot help be the judge of other people. You kick God out of you, you, you kick God out of your consciousness. You replace your opinions, your perceptions about other people with God. You put yourself in the judgment, judger seat. And you will start judging people based upon your standard rather than the standard of God. Turn your back away from God, you will be the judge of others. That's the core. Of every sin, a heart that that suppresses the idea, the the knowledge of God. James says, in chapter two, last we talked about, I think it's verse one, isn't it? He says, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. What does it mean for Jesus Christ to be the Lord of glory? Glory means he is the manifestation of the living God. James is saying, Jesus Christ as revealed in scripture, is the living God. Do you, know what, do, you know, do you want to know what God looks like? Forget the shallow idea of, of God in your heads, right? All of us have this ideal of God. He's my best friend, right? He's going to be my healer, whatever it is. Forget your shallow understanding of who you think God is. Do you really want to know who God is, James says? Look to G- who Jesus is according to scripture, Jesus, who is revealed in scripture, he is God, not the shallow ideas in our heads. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What does our God look like? He's a God who does not care anything about external reality. He doesn't judge us in accordance to our external reality. That is clear from the ministry of Jesus. He does not care about external. He doesn't judge people based upon external reality. He is the God who, had, who was God, who occupied the ultimate position of privilege, as the people would say. But he gave up his privilege willingly to become a servant, to, to be born in a stinky manger. He gave up his external position willingly so that we will be set free. He became a servant of all so that we will be set free. He does not care about external positions. In his ministry here, what does he do? He talked to the rich people as well as the poor people. He talked to the rich young ruler and he talked to, you know, he talked to beggars on the street. He talked to religious leaders like Nicodemus and, 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 and tr- taught truth to them. But he also loved sinners like Zacchaeus, and the woman caught in adultery, and a and Samaritan woman, whom the, is from the Jewish Jews considered second-class citizen. His encounter with a Samaritan woman, especially in John chapter 4, is interesting, because that woman, was a total rejected person in her society. Not only was she a Samaritan, Jewish people during the time considered Samaritans mixed race, they considered them dogs, basically. But what was this woman that was not only a, Sam- a Samaritan, but this woman had multiple partners. She cheated on her husband multiple times. She was a social outcast. Externally, she was dirty and unacceptable. Jesus could not care anything. He didn't care about who she was societally. He knew she needed salvation, so he approached her. The God that we purportedly, the God that we worship, shows no discrimination. That's that's who God is. Therefore, discrimination goes against the very nature of who God is. Judging people on their externalities is the exact opposite of who God is. Living a life that is opposite of who God is, that's evil. That's the definition of evil. Like I said, the cause of discrimination is not knowing this God who does not discriminate. Not living your life under the weight of who this God is. We take God out of the the picture. And when we take God out of the picture, our perception, our judgment, our impressions, our values, they take precedence. And we think we're justified in judging another human being based upon our preferences and our ideology. The Cultural Revolution in China. Do you know about the Cultural Revolution in China? You know? Happened between 1966 and 1976. That's within my lifetime, right? That's like 50 years ago. The Chinese Communist Party estimate over maybe around 2 million people died. And 20 million people were sent to education concentration camps Why? And and this murdering of millions of people was started by Mao Zedong, who is the founder of the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Republic of China. The Chinese form of government right now was founded by Mao Zedong, the guy who started cultural revolution. Cultural revolution is this. Mao Zedong is a Marxist, and he says, Anyone who does not live in accordance to whom we think disagrees with Marxist ideology has either has to be punished or re or reeducated. Who are the enemies of Marxism? Capitalists, landowners, the bourgeois, most of you here by the way, right? All of you by the way, bourgeois, they they live, they are inconsistent with communist ideology. Therefore, if you are in this class, if you're a landowner or an educated class or even a religious class, you're going to be killed. They're not going to ask you what your beliefs are. They're just going to eliminate you. They're either going to kill you or send you to re-education camp. See what that's doing? Replace God with your ideology. And if people don't agree with your ideology, then they deserve to, they deserve to suffer and die. There's this lady who was, who was interviewed by one of those conservative newspapers. I don't know who it is. There's a Chinese lady living in America who lived, who lived throughout the Cultural Revolution, right? Who, who lived and she went through, she was in China under the Cultural Revolution. And she's saying, What is happening in America right now? is very similar to what is happening during, during Cultural Revolution. People being punished and silenced because of if, if, they, if they have inconsistent ideology. What is happening 50 years in China, it is happening in America right now. There's a woman who lived in North Korea, right? In North Korea, they're like one of the worst places in the world. And she, she went to Columbia University. North Korea. Right? If you disagree with the state, then you're, you're either killed or you're going to imprisonment camp. She, her expression was stifled in North Korea. She went to Colombia and she says, like, I cannot express myself. My, my expression is just as restricted and limited and not allowed, just, in, just as in Colombia as it was in North Korea, she said. This ideology, if you agree, if you replace God, you're left with ideologies, your background, your impression. And we think we have the ability to crush the dignity of someone just because they disagree with us or just because we find them unacceptable. That's why discrimination is such a sin. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. James in verse 8 talks about the royal law. The royal law is a law that is designed, that is based on the character of God, that is designed by God, that is given to men. The royal law. But the royal law is this. Basically, once again, like I said in the call of worship, God did not design us randomly. He designed us. He designed our metaphysics. He designed our spirits and our souls and our minds with a certain structure, with certain laws. Another way of saying it, God is a coder, and he designed us with a specific code. There are are physical laws that govern reality, right? The laws of physics, the laws of thermodynamics, I don't know anything about those things, but they say that those were the one laws that govern existence. If reality does not conform to the physical laws of the universe, then the law, then the universe will, expl- will implode. The reason why the universe is such a fine-tuned place, space, is because of these precise laws. Similarly, God designed a human being with certain code, certain direction, certain structure. If we live in accordance to the structure that God has designed us to be, then we become full human beings. But if we don't live in accordance to our code, then disaster happens. Living when people are saved, God saves us so that we could become more conformed to what He designed us to be. If we're in sin, we're, we're choosing to live a life that is inconsistent in which the way we, how we were designed. Understand that there is a law that governs our souls. If you live in a conformity to that law, you will live, you will thrive, you will be free. But if you live opposite to the way you're designed, misery and destruction. Look, I talked about it last week. Rosalind Picard is one of the leading computer scientists in America. She's a a professor at at MIT. And she designed, like I said last week, she designed a program where the computer can read the, the facial expression of autistic children. She's a pioneer in AI, teaching computers how to think. She's one of the leading experts. She's a Christian. He says she was an atheist before, and then a theist, and then a Christian. And the reason she became from a theist to a Christian, for a person who thinks there is a God out there, to a person who confessed Jesus is Lord, how did that transformation happen? She said, "I read the Bible, and I started to live out what the Bible says. And when I started out living out what the Bible says, the data in her life says her life got much better. She's a scientist. She looks at her life through data. She says, "After I became a confessing Christian, after I lived inconsistently to God's design, my life became better." The clear data in her life is that her life is far better as a Christian than as an atheist. Therefore, she says, my scientific reasoning says, Christianity is true. He's basically saying what I just said. Being a Christian means you are, your eyes are open to the real God, Jesus Christ. And when, you're, when your eyes are open to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you start living the way he wants you to live, your life will get better. Friends, is your life better because of your faith? Can you say your life is observably better because of your faith? Or if you're honest, whether you say you're a Christian or not, it makes no difference in your life. Which one is it? if having faith in Jesus Christ makes no difference in your life in terms of how you think about yourself, how you think about other people, how you think about sin, if there's no markedly difference in the way you live your life, the question is, is your belief true? Right? God gave us the royal law, structured in the ways in which we're designed. How do we know what these laws are? How do we know the structure of our soul? James says in verse 8, it's in the scriptures. It is a scripture that that reveals how we're designed. As an old Chinese man who never read the Bible, after he finished reading the Bible, he says, the one who wrote this book is the one who designed my heart. That's Alistair Beck saying, Dan. I'm not ripping off him. He says, The old man, the old Chinese man, after reading the Bible says, the the one who wrote the Bible is the one who designed my heart. That's what he said. That's what James is saying. How do you know how your soul is designed? It's revealed in scripture. How do you know then? What does the scripture say about how we're designed? God's law tells us how we're designed. What is a summary of God's law? Jesus has two major commands. The summary of God's law is this. Matthew chapter 19, is it? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37, 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, second is, is this. Love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How do you know what the will of God is? Through the law of God. How do you know how your soul is designed? Law of God. What is the summary of all the laws of, of the Bible? Two. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. That's how our souls are designed to be. We're designed to love God. We're designed to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the operating system of our souls. That's the structure of our soul. If you disobey, if you don't live like this, you are living contrary to his design. You understand? Do you love God with your mind? Do you love your God with with your soul? Do you love your God with your heart? This means, do you love your God with your thinking, your emotions, your decision? Are you a God-oriented person? Ten commandments, commandment one through four is how you love God. How do you love God? Your soul needs to love God. How do you love God? By recognizing that he's real by recognizing there's only one God and he's absolutely real. By recognizing what he says is important and not what you think. Recognizing that he speaks to you through his word. And recognizing the Holy Spirit speaks to you with his word and leads you and calls you to obey and worship. Are you loving God in your everyday life? Do you know there's one true God? Do you know that he's real? Do you know that he speaks to you? Do you know what he thinks matters more than what you you think? Do you love him? He says, recognize I'm the true God and no idols before me. Don't make little sub-gods in your life. Your God can be your career. Your God can be your children. Your God can be religion. Your God can be anything. But... He says, no place for idols. I'm the only God. God says in the second commandment is don't make idols for yourself. Don't make like, figurines representing who you think God is. That commandment basically means don't just be satisfied with your limited understanding who, I think, who you think I am. People are so comfortable thinking that the God they think it's true in their heads is the real God. That's not true. God you think you know in your head perhaps is shallow at best get to know him he says that's what it means to love God with your mind are you loving God with your mind are you loving God with your will are you for, are you making yourself obey him making yourself yeah that, I guess that, that makes sense do you love God do you love your neighbors as yourself Commandment 5 through 10 of the Ten Commandments is about loving another human being. How do you love another human being? Obey your parents, honor your parents. Don't murder them, whether it is physically or emotionally or spiritually with your words. Don't commit adultery. Don't objectify women or men to satisfy your own desires. Don't lie to them. Don't steal from them. Do not be jealous of them. Basically, these commandments are saying, respect someone's dignity. That's how your souls are designed to be, loving God and respecting the dignity and humanity of another another person. You respect their property. you, You respect their humanity. You respect them as an individual human being created by God. That's how your souls are designed to be. And if you don't live like this, you're living contrary to your design. And living contrary to your design is causing great pain to you and to the people around you. You understand? Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of trans- as transgressors. He's saying discrimination goes against the modus operandi of your soul, which is to respect the dignity and humanity of another person, right? Saying, Making a prejudgment saying, because that person, I don't know, looks a certain way, you know, or dresses a certain way, or is from a certain family or class, and you're making a value judgment, you are doing the opposite of love, respecting someone's dignity and humanity. You are saying that person is unworthy according to your superficial standard that's the opposite of respecting someone's dignity leviticus chapter 15, 19 verse 15 do not pervert justice do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly god is saying if you show prejudice and discrimination you are being unjust If you're preferring one person because of their external features over another person, then you are being unjust. Which is violating the humanity and dignity of someone else. That's why partiality is such a sin. You are dragging the humanity of someone based upon standards that doesn't matter at all. you understand? Not only that, he says, you're committing sin. That you are go- Sin means not meeting, not meeting the mark, which means not meeting God's standard, and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. What the latter verse says, if, you're, if you show discrimination, the law of God will convict you and call you a sinner. If you show partiality, the law of God will judge you and call you a transgressor. What is interesting about this is this. What this verse is saying is, when God judges us on the final day, he's going to judge us based upon whether we obeyed the law of love. Once again, God's world law, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and soul. Love your neighbors as yourself. Verse 9, James is saying, God, one day, when, at the final judgment, God is going to judge you based upon how you loved people. The second greatest commandment is loving your neighbors as yourself. That is a standard that God's going to use to judge you and me. When we think about God's judgment, we think of, oh, maybe God's going to judge me for the things that I watched or the things that I've done, maybe he will, but more specifically, verse 9 is saying, he's going to judge you by the way you love. Every one of us, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, think love is the most important thing. Everyone believes that. If you don't think love is the most important thing, then you maybe are a psychopath, right? Love, they say, love is the most important thing. And really, that's—I mean—that's loving God is the most important thing, but loving neighbors is is a second, right? Everyone knows we should love. God is going to judge us by the standard you say is right. Everyone says love is the right standard. God's going to say, "Yeah, that's right." And I'm going to judge you by the way you love your neighbor. How you love your neighbor is a standard of judgment. Who is your neighbor? The people that God has strategically placed you in your life, your wife, your husband, your children, your boss, your co-workers, your cousins. Are, are you, do you love, do you respect their dignity? Right Do you respect their property? Do you respect their dignity enough not to lie to them or not to gossip about them? Do you love your, do, you, do you respect people's dignity? God is not going to judge us for you know publicly proclaiming that we love something. You know, people on social media, right? they, they make. Bold post. Racism is evil. Right the power. Fist bump. Right? Right? Now, believe all women. True. Not believe all women, but, you know, right? Give women a benefit of of doubt. We, we have all these things. We make public declarations of love. But regardless of what your public declaration of love is, the standard in which God's going to judge us is how we have loved our neighbors, the people who are closest. The former mayor of South Korea, so of Seoul, he fought for the rights of women more than any other politician. He fought for women's equal treatment under the law and all that stuff. But he was discovered later on that he abused his secretary, female secretary in a non-gentlemanly-like conduct. We all know what I'm saying when, when I'm saying non-gentlemanly-like conduct. The guy who fought so hard for the rights of women abused his power to abuse his female secretary. Is he loving his neighbor? Taking political stance and ideology, that is all fine and good and dandy. But the neighbor part is lacking. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your husband? Do you respect the dignity and the humanity of your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your boss? That's the standard that God's going to judge well you have love verse 10 for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it verse 9 verse 10 James is saying the 10 commandment is not God not just just, God is not going to just just check one box did did PJ obey commandment number one check Did did he do the commandment number three not really he worked on the Sabbath so he fails in this regard he's not a state, state inspector having a checklist of whether you whether you obey this commandment or not no james is saying when god looks at the law he looks at the, he looks at it completely he looks at it completely and if you disobey one part of that law you're disobeying the, the entirety of that law it's like maybe... This is a bad example. Maybe you like me. You say, "PJ, I really like you, right? I really like. You. I think you're great, PJ. I like your sermons. A little bit long, but I like your sermons. Great." But PJ, I hate your wife. Am I going to say, "Oh yeah, it's great that you love me"? Yeah, it's great that you love me, right? But you know, I, you know, but, you know, the wife thing, I can, I can kind of, kind of like, you no, know, not think about. It. No, you insult my wife. You insult me. The law of God is an entire, an entire reflection of the character and the mind of God. Disobey one, you disobey the whole thing. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He's saying, God says do not murder and do not commit adultery. If you don't commit adultery, whew, good for you. But if you commit murder, he says, you're violating the entire law. Have you obeyed the law of love this week? Have you murdered anyone this week? Hopefully not, right? Good for you if you haven't killed anyone. But have you objectified someone lustfully? Have you taken a human being? and look that person as an object to, suit, to, to satisfy your own whatever brokenness that you have? you done that? Then you've broken the law of God. You've broken the law of love. You have not loved this week. That's what he's saying. Were you kind to your wife this week? Did you send her flowers? I don't know why we would send her flowers this week. but Maybe it was a special occasion. Did you buy her nice stuff this week? Maybe you have. Good for you. You you acted lovingly. But did you gossip about someone? Condemn someone with your mouth this week? You have broken the law of love. Just because you were nice to your wife, it doesn't mean that you satisfy the requirements of the law of love. Breaking one breaks the entire thing. He's going to judge us by the way we loved. But we have to do it entirely. Man, that's hard. Who can can satisfy these requirements? God can. We can't. He can. If we okay if we don't satisfy love love it's not just a mere moral failure not meeting the love of god causes love love causes great suffering the gossips and the hatred and the, and the and the lust and all these things causes great suffering to our families to ourselves and to our community Now the question is and if there is great suffering caused by not being loving the question is what does god do With the the thing that we've done that's destroying our community and ourselves. He needs to condemn and punish. You understand? None of us can satisfy the law of God, law of love. Even though we think loving is a great idea, none of us can fulfill it. None of us can. How do you know? Look, your wedding vows. Do you promise to love Sickness or in health, better for poorer, richer for... Are you promised to be that person? You say, yeah, sure. Oh, but man, if your partner throws out the garbage in a certain way or don't throw out the garbage a certain way, oh, the condemnation starts coming. You say you're going to be true, but your partner starts gaining weight. Oh, my emotion for her will start dissipating. We can't live out love even though we think it's a great idea. And therefore, we're going to be condemned. But that is where the mercy of Jesus Christ comes. What is the mercy of Jesus Christ? Mercy of Jesus Christ is threefold? Number one, the condemnation that we deserve because we couldn't keep the law of love. That condemnation, our failures, it goes to him. Our inability to love causes great suffering that deserves judgment and condemnation. But rather than condemning us for failing in love, he punishes Christ for, fail, for us failing in love. That's the substitution aspect of the love of Christ. All of us fail love horribly. Let's be real, real here. You are not a loving person. I am not a loving person. Not in the way that God defines what love is. You may feel loving from time to time, but acting loving, we are horrible at it. Our failures don't come to us. That's 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 the gospel. It goes to Christ. So unfair, but I don't know why, but it is. Not only is Christ condemned, and punished for our failure. His record becomes our record. Jesus Christ is the only human being that did not show partiality or discrimination. He's the only person who has the right to judge people, but rather than judging them, show love and compassion to them. He did not show partiality in this world. He treated people fairly and equitably. We can't do it, but having faith in Christ means his record becomes our record. That's the second part of the mercy of Christ. Number one, he takes our condemnation. Number two, his, his, his non discriminatory, perfectly obeying love record becomes our record. And number three, he makes our hearts like his, he makes our hearts merciful. If you are truly in Jesus Christ, those of us, all of us who are so bad at love and showing compassion to people, when we're united with him, he, he works in our hearts that we, we, we can become merciful. That's why verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What he basically means verse 13 is this. If you don't show mercy to other people, you will be judged for your lack of mercy. This means the reason why you will be judged for the lack of mercy if you're claiming to be Christian is if you claim to be a Christian and say you have received mercy from God, but if you don't show that mercy to another human being, you've never known that mercy mercy of Christ. Christ comes and he makes our hearts more merciful, more forgiving. Having mercy towards another human being, as good of an idea as that is, it is so hard. You know that? You may think that you're capable of being merciful. What does it mean, merciful? Not treating people the way they deserve, but show kindness. That's mercy, right? Showing mercy, everyone agrees, is a great idea, But it is so impossibly hard, especially to those people who hurt you. Our fallen hearts are not designed to be merciful. They're not. Our hearts, our fallen hearts, are designed to condemn and judge. It is not in our nature to be merciful. As the bad guy in Karate Kid says, mercy is for the weak, right? John Kim knows what I'm talking about. Mercy is hard. But Christ softens our hearts to make us merciful. How do you know that you don't have a merciful heart? Married people, what do you do when your spouse angers you, disappoints you? You show mercy and kindness and forgiveness? Not all the time, right? Let's be honest. If they hurt you, you go to the deep armory of your mind of past failings that your partner did, take out the most negative thing, take it out, and throw it at them. We're not merciful. But Christ makes us merciful. Christ makes us merciful by making us realize that he has shown us mercy. Look, last story before I end. I was watching a YouTube clip. YouTube clip, interview, Beckett Cooks podcast. He was interviewing this lady named, I would say Jessica Chow, Judy Chow, something with a Judy, something with the last name Chow. This person was raised in Chantilly, Virginia, by the way. Yay, local girl. She went to California, became an actress. Right? Like parents divorced, mess of childhood, went to California, you know how the story goes. Party girl, right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then she came to this church where Becky Cook goes, Reality LA, and in one service she became converted. In one service, God came and opened her heart. By the way, praise team, one service can change a person's life. Rob Yo, one person, one service can change a person's life. Therefore, we need to pray. Right, brothers? Side note end. That service changed a person's life. Her life, her heart, her heart opened to Christ. And from that moment on, by the grace of God, she says. God showed her her past sins and how horrible she was. And the reason why he did that was to show his great mercy towards her. And one of the things that she has done when she wasn't a believer was she said she got an abortion. Right? That kind of lifestyle, sex, drugs, and rock girl, tend to lead someone to get impreg- pregnant, right? She had an abortion, and she, she was pregnant. And she got an abortion. She didn't think much of it, right? Because all around her, L.A., women's right to choose, right? She got an abortion. After she became a Christian, she realized what she has done. Her words, not mine. She said, I realized I killed my own child. And she didn't know what to do with it. So that church had a support group that helps people who had abortion. And one of the things that they told her to do was, you should name the child that got aborted. When she got an abortion, she thought that thing in her stomach, womb, was just a thing, a blob of tissue. But after she became a Christian, she realized that was a human being. And she named her aborted child. and repented, and remorse. She needed to do that because she realized, to understand what she has done, but also to understand that even though she did that, Christ's mercy still covered her. Her sin, by naming that child, her sin wasn't just an abstract theory, but a guilt. But she also knew Christ covered her guilt. She knows she received mercy from Christ. When you know that when your sin is not just an abstract theory, but a reality in your life, and despite the reality of sin, Christ covered your guilt with His mercy, how will you not be merciful towards the people in your, towards your neighbor? That's James's point. All of us will fail at love. All of us will discriminate. All of us will prejudge another human being based upon our own standards. But the only way, you you, you stop becoming that person. I'm aware of the mercies of Christ. There is no one in this world who's going to show mercy like he's shown you mercy. That's the way you have a merciful heart. That's how you start to live out your design, which is to love another human being. This week, as you go, if you're angry, if you throw condemning things, if you're not loving someone, please know you're, you're doing that. You're being unkind because you don't know the mercies of Christ. If you find yourself being unkind and judgmental, and hateful, and and, and and discriminatory. That will reveal you don't know his mercy. Ask that you will understand his mercy, so that you will be able to complete the law of love that is written in your soul. Let us pray for these things, and we'll. Father, your mercy is not empty words that we sing or ideologies that are just, just just we mindlessly give lip service to. Your mercy is the real power that sets us free, that sets our evil judgmental hearts free. We cannot love a human being. We cannot love our neighbors. The people closest to us. Unless we receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. Like you have revealed your mercy to Judy Chow. Would you reveal your mercy in real ways to us? Father we have a habit. Perhaps a default for the condition of our hearts is to take ourselves in the place of judge and just judging everyone based upon whether they agree with us or not. That is the root of discrimination and evil. But the only way out of it is for our hearts to be set free. And your mercy is the only thing that can set our hearts free to love. But truly, may your mercy and may your love for us be real. May the forgiveness that you offer be real. That we can love and forgive those people around us. Allow us to fulfill your divine call in our lives. Father, be real to those who are looking for work. Be real, Lord, in those of us who have ailing parents. We have parents suffering from cancer. We have parents suffering from accidents. Lord, you know our weakness, but you also are the one who controls all things. Heal those of us with ailing parents. and give us hope, Lord, as we go through these various trials. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray.